Welcome to uh, Pod Bless America, your only French-inspired uh, podcast where we examine uh, issues of advocacy with state government here in uh, probably the greatest state uh, in all of the United States, uh, number 38 uh, in terms of adoption into the Union mm-hmm. uh, back in 18 and 76 on the centennial of the Declaration of Independence. It's uh, Pod Bless America, and I'm here with my friend, your friend, we all know him, love him, Peter Severson, director of Lutheran Advocacy Ministry Colorado, former Jeopardy participant, <laughs> and uh, our host to the issues. Wow. Uh, I'm host to a lot of issues, I will say that. Um, that was quite an introduction. <laughs> I didn't expect Jeopardy to make an appearance. Um, we talked about it last time. We're going to talk we about it every time. did, and I guess every time now <laughs> we'll bring it up. Jeopardy you know, on much better footing now, so less of a huge Jeopardy is doing better. That's right. We had a whole discourse about um, their hosting woes. I do want to note, Zach, that actually I was thinking about Jeopardy recently, and in fact, thinking about a fellow Princeton alum who was on Jeopardy some time ago, uh, Nick, no last name needed, mm-hmm. uh, famously was on Jeopardy and in uh, one of his responses was required to do like a portmanteau. You know, they do those like before and after kind of things. And he famously answered Gangster's Paradise Lost. And um, the judges ruled that incorrect because they were going for Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise Lost. combined oh. with the book. And with Coolio's recent death, uh, you know, that was sort of, I back should have my loaded some Coolio into the soundboard. You, I mean, you know, we can add that in post, I'm assuming. Uh, there's no rights issues. But anyhow, uh, I was thinking about that. And not only that, I listened, as many millions of Americans did, uh, to honor Coolio's passing to Gangsta's Paradise, uh, just because it's such a banger. And if you listen closely, you hear in the refrain, the guy who's singing... We've been spending most of our lives living in uh, that that guy pronounces it. I think gangsters paradise. I think you hear the er, even er. though the title is uh. So anyway, justice for Nick is the point, and I'm going to get that hashtag rolling on Twitter. You know, Coolio, uh, who died recently, uh, played such a huge like he hit at like the exact moment when my like when I became aware of popular culture. Mm. right like sixth grade like was Mm -hmm. uh i don't think i still don't think i've seen the movie dangerous minds uh no nobody has i mean i could describe high detail uh the clips that were interspersed into that music video uh you know one two three four i think preceded it in terms of singles released Mm -hmm. uh which is incredible uh i don't want it to go overshadowed though because those are are incredible songs uh fantastic voyage Mm-hmm. which predates both of them is perhaps like his real magnum opus. Uh, beautiful. I saw him at uh, Coachella. Wow. Oh, wow. I believe in 2018. Where that, when you did runs. the live show? Oh, man. When we did the live show. Yeah. I, and by wow. see him, I saw a line, a very long line to get into a tent. Uh, where he we, was. Where he was. And we had to make some choices. Uh, wow. And that was not one of the choices we made uh we made well, lots of good choices but perhaps that was a poor choice <laughs> that's true well you know we all live with regrets oh don't we this is one of yours mm. but but you know what uh people have no regrets about zach is What's the that? decisions they make on their fall ballot everyone votes as we know with no regrets no Yolo, regrets um that's how we that's how we approach public policy in Colorado. I know we, that was a, a sort of abrupt shift, but I feel like uh, because we have so many things on our ballot, I just oh, am just champing at the bit, and I know, do I, use that we're correctly. We're both Chicago guys, uh, <laughs> and I think uh, in that I briefly lived in Chicago. Yes. In that you briefly lived in Chicago, and I briefly lived in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> so we're about as Chicago as it gets. We're about as the Bears is what we are. <laughs> We're always texting each other, the bears. Uh, That's right. I think we both subscribe to the uh, the Chicago uh, School of Economics understanding of human behavior that people always make uh, the most personally advantageous rational decisions for themselves and that they mm. do that in the ballot, in the voting booth, right? Yeah. You know, if I learned anything from the Milton Friedman um, Institute at the University of Chicago, which is now housed in a former seminary, so there's a whole 
thing there. Oh, is that where it is? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. I took classes mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, if I learned anything, it's yes, we, we always make the most self-interested decision and therefore the best and correct decision. Um, when we, when we vote that way. So you know, that's going to be obviously the lens. Exactamundo. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, you know, my Friedman-esque opinions are really tempered by our, the good folks on our policy committee uh, who, who help determine what our positions are as an advocacy group. So they, they have a moderating influence on me, the, mm-hmm. the Friedmanist the among us. I do, mm-hmm. before we get into it, Peter, I have a couple of notes. One of the things that we enjoy doing on this podcast uh, is educating people about the state of Colorado. We've gone on, oh, on in depth before about the state fossil and dinosaur controversy yes. that's really only a controversy for me personally, the Stegosaurus. Uh, we've talked about a lot of different things and uh, just some more fun facts here, Peter. You know a lot, yeah. right? Like, and for most of this podcast, you're going to be educating me. Uh, <laughs> but I do have a couple questions for you, Peter. Okay. For our listeners, do you know the state fish Ooh. of Colorado? Um. I am just going to take a total guess because I don't know the state fish. Is it the cutthroat trout? You're pretty close. It is the greenback cutthroat, which is a a, a, a distinct you know species separate oh. from your kind of Montanan uh, cutthroat. I, I became an angler, wow. fly fisher person in recent years, Peter. Yes, uh, and uh, it's a great story. It's a great story, Peter. Yeah. Just to kind of like to talk about. I'm sure I've talked about the Colorado Grizzly on this podcast, so I'm not going to Oh, absolutely. Yes. We, we want the listeners to refer to the archive for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the greenback is native to uh, Colorado. And uh, in 1932, they were presumed to be extinct, just mm. like the Colorado Grizzly. Though mm. uh, they found a pocket of them in the, uh, where was it? In the South Platte. Wow. Uh, and so they have been on the rebound ever since. They're currently a threatened status. Mm-hmm. Uh, reasons for their uh, decline in population, uh, the most obvious one is, is sort of like uh, pollution from mine tailings and such, mm-hmm. uh, which is not good for them, but also the introduction of non-native species. And, you know, I'm always stumping for the D- Department of Natural Resources here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to know, dear listener, that uh, brook trout, brown trout, and rainbow trout are not native species to Colorado. We have introduced mm. them and they have uh, uh, certainly not helped the cause of the greenback, though, on the uh, on the rise. Wow. On the it's rise more... is a pun for fly fish people. Oh, that's like a Because they a rise from their feet. Because what you want to do, Peter, so you're mm. mimicking like flies. Uh, uh-huh. And the most fun way to do fly fishing is to do it where uh, you put the flies on top of the water, which is called surface feeding. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the vast majority of feeding fish uh, trout do is, is subsurface, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's really fun because you get to like sight, sight, see it. Like you can watch the fish approaching your, your fly and stuff. Uh, yeah. And so when they're uh, rising is what you call it, you can see them coming up and eating bugs and stuff, right? So the wow. greenback trout. I rise. didn't know this would be so educational for me. I was Get offered. Reason, my friends. Use <laughs> barbless offered... hooks. You don't need the barb. Oh yes. Well, we don't want to. We don't want to hurt we'll the fish. Rip their face off. Yeah. Oh heavens, no! I saw that Travolta movie. Um, I think I was. I was offered. Keep this John part. Travolta out of Colorado River waters. That's what I've always <laughs> said. We'll get that hashtag going also. Yeah, this summer I was offered by some friends to go fly fishing in Rocky Mountain National Park, and I. I, having never fly fished, um, I considered that offer and I declined, but now mm. I feel like I should have accepted because I would be a lot more conversant in this greenback conversation. We should go, Peter. I'll take you up. I got an extra rod. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I haven't done it this season. I bought my license though. It's just for the state government. That's but, right. Uh, well. You know, I'm an anxious person. And so mm. regular fishing has been really not good for me Yeah, because you just stand there. Uh, it gives you something to do. You're active. You're doing stuff the whole time. Yeah. You know. you're, you're casting the reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell in love with skiing because it was a, an opportunity uh, for me to go away, like on my day off, and like not be reachable and really not be able to work and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, fly fishing, excellent summer substitute. Excellent. The same kind of deal. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to get into it because the, the greenback trout, it, I didn't it know it. It needs to be ripped from the water and into our nets and then gingerly put back in the water. <laughs> Wow. Well, I really appreciate that so many of our state symbols uh, were missing and presumed dead and then have come back to life. (laughs) Very uh, cruciform, if you were to ask me about that there. 
Yeah, one might say, which is notable for a state that is as square and non-cruciform in its geography <laughs> as ours. Wow. Well, just wait till next year and we will talk about uh, Yule Marble. Yule oh, Marble. my. Yeah. Yes, the, the marble. The marble at the Capitol. They they really blasted it. Well, I am excited, Zach, that you have invited me back to join you to talk about these ballot measures. They're, you know, this can seem so kind of dry and uninteresting, but I am hoping that I'm going to gin up a level of artificial excitement among the listeners yeah. and the viewers and whomever else. Uh, so that when you get that ballot in the mail, you know, in the middle of October, late, late, late October, you might be listening to this and already have it. It might be the future. Uh, hopefully you'll find your way through these and and you'll think, you know, I actually have an opinion about this or I learned something new about this or I am excited to vote for this or against that. Who knows? So that's what I'm here to deliver. I'm a, I'm a vessel for hot takes and opinions that are, of course, mediated through the moderate, moderating influence of the ELCA's social teaching and scripture. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you got to remind me. I know you do that. You teach me this every year. Uh, I'm looking at the at your voter guide here. Uh, yes. It's a list of all the things. We got numbers. We got letters. We got double letters and numbers. Mm -hmm. what, what, <laughs> what what's going on here? There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I, I do want the listeners to know our voter guide is available uh, right now online at rmselca.org/slash/colorado-ballot-2022. So you can go there, see this very Boom. guide that we're talking about. Yeah, there's a there's a whole mishmash of things. Uh, so you'll see, first of all, as you notice, letters and numbers. Uh, letters mean that the legislature passed something that then came to the ballot. So anything with the letter came from our legislature. Things there are things that they pass that they can't directly put into law. There are things that need to be approved by the voters. That's that's what that means. So we've got five of those. Anything with a either a single or a double letter. The numbers mean that it came from a citizen initiative. So people went out, gathered signatures, uh, you know, paid other people to gather signatures, whatever the case may be. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think you previously noted that our constitution is uh, made of very malleable aluminum foil, and you know, there, there are aluminium not any... for our British listeners. Aluminium, yes, uh, yes. Uh, God save the king, I guess. King. Um, all the numbers. Uh, that means that it came from a citizen initiative. Now, you'll note that there, there, in addition to letters and numbers, there are propositions and amendments. That's the other matrix going on here. Amendments are amendments to the state constitution, aforementioned, aluminium. The propositions are all just changes to our statutory law, meaning that um, we can make changes, put them in the, put them in the books. The legislature could go in and change those books later if they so choose. Um, they usually don't because they usually do respect the will of the voters, unlike other places like my home state of South Dakota, where voters can say something and apparently it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but in Colorado, the general rule has been uh, they, they leave those alone. So that's that's a great question. It's a good it's a good difference to note where these things come from Excellent. does indeed matter. Well, there's lots to talk about. And I think, Zach, I'm going to propose that we start. We have we have 11. Are things you a citizen or are you a legislative body with your proposition? <laughs> Well, the the proposition that we're making here is uh, well, they're they're proposing to do a lot of things, and uh, I, I I think what we should do is actually start with the four things that we have four things mm -hmm. out of the eleven that we have a position on, like a yes no, you know, recommendation from Lutheran Advocacy. I would love to start with those, and then maybe we can do like a, a quick round with all the rest of the stuff on the ballot, which. You know, it tends to be the the more exciting headline grabby stuff that we don't have a position on. <laughs> but in this case, I think we've got some fun stuff to talk about. So maybe we'll start Excellent. there and then and then do uh, some quick hits at the end. How does that sound? Sounds fantastic, Peter. Where? Well, can I propose where we start off? I think you should tell me where yeah, you want to start. I have, yeah. am entering in this conversation as trying to be as ignorant as possible, just for the sake of the listener to be educated, right? <laughs> so I, I suggest we start with Proposition FF, which I can only assume has something to do with the furries of Jefferson County that uh, <laughs> one of the gubernatorial candidates uh, is really upset about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I Well, he, look, I can't speak to what, one or another of our gubernatorial candidates are mad about on any given day. Um, I also can't speak to, you know, controversies about furries in the public eye, which the la the latest outrage that I heard about was that apparently 
in Canada, they're getting rid of Smokey Bear and replacing it with somebody called Ember the Fox, who looks kind of like a furry character. Um, it's, if it's Smokey Canadian the Bear is not a furry character, then what it's even not, is whole... a furry character? I never, <laughs> I never thought of Smokey the Bear and thought, oh, that's a clean-shaven bear. That's a real smoke show, as as you might say. Oh. No. Uh, anyhow, that's the only furry controversy I know about. That is not what FF stands for. Uh FF doesn't actually stand for anything, although I guess you could colloquially say maybe it stands for free food because that's hey, kind of what it's about. Sounds great. Yeah. I, you know, now look, uh, we, I will fully disclose right up front here, Lutheran Advocacy, we are part of the Yes on FF coalition. Uh, this actually makes me wonder if I should have talked to their communications professional team beforehand so that I had mm. the correct talking points. But you know what? I'm just freewheeling right now. Or maybe uh, they should have talked to us to develop they, the talking points. That's true. They could have reached out to our our very vast audience across Colorado. I think it should be Proposition FFF, and it should, the campaign should be Furries for Free Food for us. <laughs> Wow, that we really capitalized on the moment. You know? Are really gonna <laughs> we're gonna gin up a lot of interest in this measure if we uh, if we roll over these these interest communities. Um, I unfortunately can't control the labeling mm. of these measures. Prop FF is what Jenna Griswold decided this would be called. Um, I, I lay the blame at her feet. I don't know. It's the Secretary of State that you know gives these titles. But FF, we're very excited about because apart from its lettering, we're calling it Healthy School Meals for All. That is the name of the coalition that is supporting it. It's the informal title of the ballot measure. Um, as I said, we've been a part of this since it was a legislative measure uh, back during the session, the 2022 legislative session, which ran from January to May. Uh, originally, this was a bill, um, and it was later decided that um, making it a ballot measure just with the funding mechanism was the best way to go. And so it has now been referred to the ballot. The legislature did pass this in a bipartisan fashion. Oh, wow. And it's now on the ballot. So, you know, Zach, Lutheran Advocacy is supported in part by your generous gifts to ELCA World Hunger. Mine uh, personally or our listeners as well? You, I believe they have taken everything you have given and given it to me directly. <laughs> good. That's what, I, that's what I asked. I think that's, yes. Well, good, good. I'm glad that we're honoring the will of I've the donors. I've got planned giving to give money to Peter. Oh yeah, great. Okay, um, put us put me in your will as well, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. Um, you can talk to my colleague Tina about that uh, legacy giving. So, World Hunger, because they support us, we have a mandate to work uh, in part on hunger issues, and this is just right right down the center lane for us. Um, what this would do is create and fund the Healthy School Meals for All program, and the idea would be to to provide free school meals to all public school students. Uh, which was something that Congress did across the country during the pandemic times. Uh, you remember those times, uh, perhaps. Um, maybe not over blocked, yet. Maybe you've blocked them out. Maybe it's not over yet. Uh, during, the, let's say, the height of the pandemic mm -hmm. times, Congress uh, provided this funding for public schools to provide free meals. So we're trying to continue that at the state level here in Colorado because that congressional federal funding has, has come to an end. We want to continue providing free meals for public school students. And so uh, we think this is a good idea. We think there's great evidence from the last couple of years that this has been a real boon to schools. Uh, it's been a lot easier to not have to manage payments for kids for meals, uh, payments which are in some cases somewhat nominal anyway. Um, and, and in some cases, uh, you know, have represented a barrier to accessing uh, school meals. And so this is what we are trying to do uh, and asking the voters to do. The way we're going to pay for this, and as you know, Zach, we have to pay for everything. Mm. There is, in fact, no free lunch. Um, I think that was Milton Friedman said that. Um, <laughs> I think it was. It's probably on his tombstone. Um, so we are, we do have a way to pay for this. And the idea is to cap income tax deductions for people earning $300,000 a year or more annually. Uh, and that would be the way that we're going to... Um, basically pay for the, the cost of providing meals or providing reimbursement for school districts to provide free meals across Colorado. So that is, that is the idea. Um, we're, we're looking at 
hopefully uh, a receptive audience across Colorado. We think, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, uh, harnessing a little bit more from our wealthiest citizens to provide free meals for kids uh, in school. We think that's a pretty good idea. So that's that's where we're at. What, what do you think, Zach? What, now, you you are the parent of a child who is yeah. in school. My so. ex-girlfriend's daughter goes to school. <laughs> my now wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my child as well. Um, <laughs> I've never heard somebody refer to their wife as their ex-girlfriend, but yeah. it is technically true. Yeah. Technically true. No longer my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> Uh, Peter, well, my, my child is in uh, first grade and goes to a fairly interesting school here in the Boulder Valley School District is the University Hill Elementary, which is mm. incredibly convenient it's across the street from school. But the main thing is it's a bilingual school. And so about half the students are native Spanish speakers and half the students are native English speakers. Wow. Um, and there is always a really big push from the administrators at the school to get everyone to, to do everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So they really want us to fill out to apply for free lunch, for free and reduced lunch, uh, which I've had to do. You know, she started at three because there's a preschool that we had to pay for and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, but run through the same program because you know the more people who show up on, you know, funding is allocated by participation by attendance rates, right? Yeah. Um, and and that's true for for um, uh, for for the way you know free and reduced lunch works as well. Um, and, and so I, I would just say that we fill it out every year and it's not like the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like fun <laughs> or <laughs> it's a thing to do. It's a thing you have to do mm-hmm. at the time of year when you have to do a million things for school through the school portal that you're not familiar with. Right. And, um, you know, uh, a part of the reason we're there is not just the language skills, right. But that our daughter gets to be in a much more diverse environment than she otherwise would. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, especially the native Spanish speakers are much, more, I, I can only assume have higher rates of uh, qualifying for free and reduced lunch. It's often um, true. Yeah. But I also know that, that, that it, that it, um, I'd like to think I'm pretty proficient at navigating bureaucracy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that if, you know, uh, if the kid's first language is, is Spanish, the parents are is most likely to be Spanish as well um, mm-hmm. to be able to navigate the stuff. And though, you know, the school district does a great job of putting things in Spanish uh, written by native Spanish speakers and stuff. There are a lot of bureaucratical, bureaucratical. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing. It's in a furry category over there. Uh, uh, Bureaucratica is a whole thing <laughs> yes. of Colorado politics. In the, it's like the back page. And I don't um, usually there are a lot of barriers to it, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that aren't insurmountable, but certainly helpful in having my child uh, be in school when free breakfast and lunch happened. Mm-hmm. It was so much easier than like, I've got to go online to a portal now and put money on their account. Like the only homework my daughter has had in first grade is to memorize a six digit number. That's their lunch number. <laughs> like, <laughs> what if we just gave people food, you know, and it's not as cheap as I remember it either. Right. Like oh, it's like yeah. four or $5 a day. Um, that is definitely, yeah. More than it, it once was, you know, I recall it being a dollar or maybe mm-hmm. $2 if you got orange juice instead of milk. Well, when you and I were in school, you know, and you took the, you, you, you jumped on the turnip cart that was going mm-hmm. by down <laughs> to the schoolhouse, you know, that was probably about a dollar 50 a day or something, but yeah. Yeah. It's jumped up. But all of that, all of that, Zach, is true. Like that's part of I think what the what the goal is here is reducing bureaucratic burden and recognizing that like if we if we value what we're doing with public schooling, public education, why not feed the kids while they're at school? Uh that's something that we can invest in as a society, the state of Colorado. Uh, if we're making this investment in education, this really is just a nominal add-on relative to the total cost of, of running that whole system. Um, so I think it's a win-win. And not only that, it, we're adding some of the funding is going to help local schools purchase um, local food as well to try to reduce the sort of chain of like, you know, uh, things that are grown very far away, shipped in, frozen, maybe not quite as nutritious or uh, beneficial to the local economy as buying stuff directly from more local farmers. So that's part of this as well. Um, it's part of a, a whole sort of vision of what the food system could look like, as well as an educational measure. So it just crosses over in so many ways. Like it's crossing over genres. 
The yeah. other thing I'd add, right, Peter, is that we have started working this year at Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado, which is uh, mm-hmm. the organization that I'm the pastor of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, CU finally has started to take hunger a lot more seriously and, and started to during the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so through relationships with Lutheran Campus Ministry, with the Volunteer Resource Center, which is a student fee center on campus, if that means anything to anybody, and St. Aidan's Episcopal Church that hosts us. Um, so food deliveries come to St. Aidan's on uh, Saturday morning through an organization called Boulder Food Rescue that rescues uh, just expired or food that will expire. And there's an organization that cooks on Saturday and feeds people. Uh, but essentially, we started something of a food closet. Um, and there are conversations as well uh, about how... Um, CU has food pantries on campus just for students, but there's a, a really acute need among staff, right, on campus. Um, and so we're in some early stages of, of talking about having a, um, a pantry just for staff. The the port, the movable pantry, um, mobile pantry that shows up once or twice a month mm-hmm. um, was here last week, and there was a line quarter of a mile long of people waiting wow. to get food. Um you know, we've we've shifted our priority around Tuesday night dinner has always been the key, like the center of what we do. Um, and now we're working a little more closely with with the Volunteer Resource Center to offer it as a, a an option for hunger uh, alleviation. And the easiest way to solve hunger issues, Peter, is to uh, to feed people. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah, uh, let's absolutely. do that. Uh, you know, it's amazing that the way to solve hunger is to feed people. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's and I and I, you know, let me let me defer. ELCA World Hunger. There are many dimensions to that, but yes, that is one of the uh, let's say most obvious ways that we mm-hmm. could address people's hunger needs. So, so yeah. Peter, when it comes to Proposition FF, mm-hmm. Lutheran Advocacy Ministry has a position of yes, yes. That's two yeses. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that you have I've got a soundboard. I've got some I, drops. You've got drops to throw in there that I that I didn't know about, listeners. These are these are mm-hmm. all new to me. So <laughs> very excited to hear what comes down the pipe. Yeah, so that's FF. Um, let's uh, let's jump to another one that we've got a position on. Do you wanna do you wanna uh, pick something out of the the grab bag? Yes, I love. Uh, I think we can all agree that that the breakup of Benifer. Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez was a real mm-hmm. tragedy for this country on par with the death of the queen, the 98 year old queen of England. Wow. Uh, and I believe the film that they starred in where the romance began was Gigi or was it Geely? Either way, <laughs> let's take a look at his proposition. That was a stretch. Gigi uh, title amount of tax owed table for initiatives because we like visual aids on this <laughs> audio media. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's great. Um, I really appreciate, Zach, that the film you chose to reference for this was Gigli and not the 1958 Academy Award Best Picture winner, Gigi. <laughs> I'm still salty about that uh, uh, lack of uh, uh, critical acclaim for, uh, for Gigli. For Gigli, yeah. Gigli. I just assumed you were a big fan of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which lost to Gigi at the 1959 Academy Award. You know Award. me too well, Peter. <sighs> what can I say? You know, Vincent Minnelli. Um, anyway. Let's let's go on to GG, which is the other uh, proposition referred from the legislature. So GG, uh, the idea behind GG, which is, you know, this might be a little more abstract for folks, but uh, I hope that I hope that's not too dry. It's a tax measure. It requires ballot titles and fiscal impact summaries for every initiative that affects income tax. So, you know, there are there are measures that we pass sometimes that affect the amount of income tax that you owe. Um, and the idea behind this measure is to increase some of the transparency around like what sort of differential impact is going to happen for taxpayers at different levels. You're familiar with uh, Tabor, Zach. I'm sure. Oh, that how you can are, I not be familiar with Tabor and call myself a Colorado? You're, you're a big Tabor head. Well, as you probably know, you know, 20 to 30 percent of our listeners have just moved to Colorado in the last 60 days, let's say. Um, so there are probably a lot of new Coloradans out there who don't quite know what Tabor is. And without getting into a whole discursus, would you like to offer a layman's explanation of what Tabor is? You're shaking oh, your head. So it's a real not. pain in the tushy was what Tabor is. Uh, taxpayer <laughs> Bill of Rights uh, mm-hmm. was passed early 90s or so. 
Yes. Uh, folding our aluminium under uh, essentially the idea, I believe, is that uh, state taxes cannot be imposed without like a full like vote of the people. Uh, so the legislature can't decide to raise taxes on their own. Uh, and that if the state ever makes more money than they spend, uh, we have to cut silly little checks that go out to everyone. Instead, instead of being able to do things like create rainy day funds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you may uh, you may remember getting a, a pretty fat check in the mail this fall from I did. Uh, Jared I was, Polis. I did think it was a very political move. Jared Polis really owned the fat checks. <laughs> he sure did. Uh, yeah, for the I listeners, don't think he's pro Tabor. Yeah, the listeners out of state may not know this, but Coloradans got, uh, what was it, $750 each this fall. Um, taxpayers because the state was trying to avoid um, different Tabor refund mechanisms. So they sent off the money. Uh, it was meant to, you know, it was, it was branded as kind of an inflation fighting stimulus something or other. I mean, I spent all that money in Wyoming, so it didn't, it didn't redound <laughs> at all to Colorado. But um, anyhow, yes. So t- that is Tabor. Thank you for Coffee that. Coffee can in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably the best place for it in a lot of ways. You know, the, yeah. the dog can't get to it. Um, yeah, so that's that's Tabor. And the reason I bring Tabor up, Zach, is because Tabor has a lot of requirements. And one of them is that it requires ballot titles to start with capital letters so that they are basically screaming at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shall such and such taxes be increased some dollar amount annually in order to dot, 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 to do whatever. And this is true for any measure that that purports to raise taxes in, in any fashion. Uh, so when you get a ballot measure that says, shall your district taxes be increased $650 million to dot, dot, dot. You know, all respect to the voters, but a lot of voters don't get to the dot, dot, dot. They just see $650 million and they think, I don't have that kind of money. And so they automatically vote no, because indeed, uh, I don't think most voters have $650 million. However, the difference here is that all of these measures have differential impacts based on what your tax is, uh, your per particular individual tax burden. The idea behind Prop GG is to create more transparency, to give voters more information about how much would a given measure actually impact your personal tax burden. And that's the idea here. You, you want voters to have in front of them basically an actual number um, that right. says this is actually the, the literal change to you. And if that number is something like 30 bucks annually, you might be more amenable to saying, oh, let me actually read what this is about. Because like, you know, 30 bucks over the course of a year is maybe not that big of a burden to me. So that is what we're trying to do. I want to give a shout out to Together Colorado, which is a, a faith-based community organizing group. Um, that is based here in Colorado that is kind of leading the charge on this one. We have decided that we do have a position on this one. Uh, and that position is yes. I hardly agree. <laughs> Thank God. I, I stepped on Homer again. Uh, I know we got to work on our drops, but our timing, the timing of our drops is not great. Um, anyway, next time I'll step out of the way. Homer is right. We, we agree with this one. We think more transparency is a good idea. Um, and we, we think it all I like this, Peter, as a you yeah. know, uh, antagonist of uh, uh, Tabor mm. hater. Uh, I like this kind of using Tabor against itself sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was a clever move. I, I was actually surprised because I'd seen uh, I got my blue book, I guess, flipped it open. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd seen some stuff and, and uh, usually that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought was, was something more in line. I had not actually read the. Didn't really know what it was about till right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought it was a pro taborish strengthening Tabor sort of thing, but uh, but I like this using Tabor jujitsu style against itself. Yeah, you know, it we're we're recognizing that like you know, for for groups that are interested in measures that require raising revenue, we want voters to have more information in their hands that shows that because of the way Colorado's taxes are organized, and in fact, we're probably going to get into this when we talk about Prop One Twenty One. You know, our, our state income tax is flat, which means that the relative burden for lower income people is higher than for higher income people. Uh, we don't have a graduated tax schedule. So 
just for a variety of reasons, I think it can be hard as a voter to see, you know, some big number screaming at you and then to try to parse that out and say, wait, what does this actually mean, you know, to me as an individual taxpayer? And most of our taxpayers are, you know, earning less than say like $200,000, like the vast majority are earning less than that. So this is, Speak this is going to give yourself, Peter. all those people, except for you, except for Zach, obviously. Um, that's, that's where we're, that's what we're trying to do. It's transparency. It's, uh, it gives us a better chance at creating more equitable tax structures down the road, I think. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to do it. I like it. Our... It's just smart and clever, which is, or, you know, yeah. things I like. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Together Colorado. Those, they're, they're smart, clever people over there. And uh, we're glad to be part of the effort. So uh, the Steve Forbes proposition here, uh, <laughs> one, two, one, state oh. income tax reduction. We all love and remember Steve Forbes. That is a very good the flat tax guy. contemporary reference that everyone listening to this <laughs> will understand. <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is a very popular podcast among the Gen Zers. <laughs> I was I was gonna say all of your Gen Z students were born after Steve Forbes ran for president, as far as I <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, for sure. They post <laughs> they don't care about Swift Boat at all. <laughs> Swift boats. Wow, we are that is a throwback. Oh yeah, oh they were born after that too. Okay, anyway. I'm not gonna dwell on that. What I'm gonna dwell on is Prop 121. Um we have we have opinions about this one, Zach. This one is called state income tax rate reduction. It's right there in the name. It reduces the state income tax from four point five five percent right now to four point four zero percent. That's uh, that's that flat tax I mentioned and that you mentioned, Steve Forbes, uh, R.I.P. Yeah, he's not dead. I just want him to get a good oh, night's sleep. Like, wow, I missed get, that. Get a get a good night's sleep. Uh, that's a, that's a Spock Brothers joke. I stole that from them. Um, the, yeah, the challenge here, right. Is that it sounds great for your tax burden to go down. You know, I know you as a very as high a wealthy man, yeah. Love when your taxes go down. <laughs> um, Colorado voters love that too. Actually, yeah. you might remember two years ago, Zach, we had a measure on the ballot prop 116 that did the exact same thing. You know, our state income tax used to be 4.63%. Oh, really? And that one said, let's lower it to 4.55. And Colorado voters said, yes, let's do that. Uh, that, I believe, was voted in with almost 60%. Yes. Uh, that's just, you know, that's just what people like to hear, that their taxes are going to go down. However, aforementioned, flat tax rate has different burdens depending on your income level. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the relative impact for a low income earner of that rate reduction is a lot less than if you are earning a lot of money. And, um, you know, there are some earners out there, not too many, but there's some that are earning a lot of money. This was put on the ballot, um, by John Caldera, the independence Institute, uh, state Senator Jerry Sonnenberg as well, um, put this on the ballot and they're the ones who put 116 on the ballot also, the uh, yeah, the benefit if you're a high income earner is really big. But the ELCA Zach has a social statement oh. on economic life that has something to say about heavily influenced by the Chicago School Economics. Uh, very Friedman esque. Um, <laughs> this is yeah. Uh, for the listener, this is not Friedman esque. This is uh, the, in many ways he's the opposite of what what we believe in. Um, we we have a social statement that says I, I think puts this really well. And so I'm just gonna I'm gonna share this with the listeners. It says paying taxes to enable government to promote the common good, and I use that as shorthand for a whole list of things that are in the statement, is an appropriate expression of our stewardship in society rather than something to be avoided. So because of that, we think that lowering this uh, this income tax rate wholesale is really just a tax break for the wealthy. It's not equitable at all. It'll require budget cuts that could degrade public services. So we have a strong position on this one, Zach. And that position is... Wow, that yeah. was I, that was worth waiting for. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> in if I may quote Sir Ian uh, in shorthand, our position is no. 
Zach, what do you think? You're a high income earner. I mean, do you? That's a high. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. You know, is there any rationale to the number they picked, or are they just is the strategy here just to incrementally lower it? I think like, the, why not just go to zero? You know. Well, interesting backstory on that. So I think the number they picked um, last time they lowered it by zero point zero eight percent percentage points. This time they picked basically double that. So they're going to see if, you know, a bigger uh, drop can pass. That's pretty much it. Uh, in terms of the zero, you know, one of our gubernatorial candidates did, in fact, say something about how she thinks the state income tax should be lowered to zero. And in response, a, a whole host of groups from her party um, came back to her and said, how do you plan to pay for that? Because <laughs> that's going to blow a gigantic hole in our state budget if we would just go to zero. <laughs> and her response was not encouraging <laughs> because yeah. she did not have a plan. Uh, good, good, I don't good. know if she's come up with a plan since then. Um, you know, I will leave it to the listeners to look this up, who this is. I'm not referring to any, you know, specific person uh, by name, but, you know, yeah, I, I think you can figure this out if you want to do some light altivisting and find out who this is. <laughs> Dogpile that thing. <laughs> Yeah, a zero would not would not go over well. But I think I think, you know, for some of these groups, that is the goal. Ultimately, I mean, there are definitely obviously there's many states that have no state income tax. But Colorado is structured right now in our state government that we rely on that revenue quite heavily. And um, to move to a different regime, you know, would would require retooling every like everything about our state budgeting process. And maybe that's the goal, but we'll see. But Coloradans love to lower their taxes. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this passed, but uh, we mm -hmm. are advocating that people vote no on this one. Got it. Uh, Where we're at. Peter, can we move on to a, a proposition that I'm calling the Coolio proposition? Mm. One, two, three. It doesn't get to four, but it's... <laughs> but in honor of Coolio, we'll... we'll in, sort of... Yeah, memory of Coolio. Yeah, in, in memoriam. Mm -hmm. dedicated state income tax revenue to affordable housing programs. Yeah, this is, this is quite interesting. I think prop one, two, three, um, we, uh, we are in a, in an interesting situation with our housing, uh, across the state of Colorado, Zach, as you know, uh, it's very easy to buy a house right now. And, um, you, I mean, you experienced that yourself. I experienced yeah, I've that. I've bought many properties. <laughs> right. I mean, they're just, they're giving them away practically. Well, you as a wealthy taxpayer, maybe mm -hmm. it's easier for you. But for some, there are not, it is not quite as easy. Uh, we we are in, we're in a real crunch. And uh, our friends over at Housing Colorado, which is a consortium, uh, nonprofit advocacy group, and, and umbrella group for the sort of affordable housing industry and advocacy groups across the state, Run by the uh, the the uh, Reverend Brian Rospert, um, you know your friend and mine. He's mm -hmm. their executive director. Uh, they, that's right, Methodist. The uh, one good Methodist. He... <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. I was confirmed in the United Methodist Church. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're allowed to make that joke. I was going to say his. Uh, you know, uh, we'll we'll see what see what he has to say about that. But we're buttering him up. But anyhow, Housing Colorado put this uh, put this one forward. And the idea behind Prop 123 is um, basically dedicating a portion of our existing income tax revenue. Just We just mentioned that, our, our revenue stream to uh, support a variety of housing programs, uh, housing projects, initiatives, that sort of thing. The amount dedicated would be one-tenth of one percent. So it sounds like a small number, but 0.1% of our state budget is... Uh, a large amount of money. Now you're probably going to ask me, Zach, how much money is that? And how much I'm money is that? <laughs> um, Did you give me a table? The, well, you know, if if we passed certain other measures, we might be able to tell you what your actual impact is. Mm. I can't say it right now because you know your income varies wildly from year to year with just yeah. with your depending on the stonks. You know, stonks, precious metals, and such. Um, but in this case, the estimate for the coin collection, <laughs> all your Star Wars coins, uh, the estimate for next year is that about two hundred and seventy million dollars would be transferred with that 0.1 percent. So this would the idea is this would fund a lot of different things. So it would be, um, for example, grants to local governments uh, and nonprofits to acquire and, and develop land for affordable housing. 
So like acquisition of land, creating uh, equity programs that would make investments in like rental units, making sure the rent doesn't exceed certain percentage of the household income of the people that rent, um, creating ownership programs to provide down payment assistance, um, grant programs for local governments to help them with, you know, housing projects, land use, zoning, all that stuff. Um, and providing, you know, vouchers, rental assistance, case management, and things like that for people that are experiencing homelessness. Uh, so touches on a lot of different things. I mean, this is a large revenue stream that would be created. Um, it would create the state affordable housing fund, and that's where this would all go into. Uh, so it doesn't actually increase or change your taxes in any way. It just diverts existing revenue. So actually, Zach, if you had that table in front of you, it's a zero. It's a zero. And yeah. how, what a powerful piece of communication that would be. <laughs> Maybe I should have led with that. I feel like, huh? you know, if, if you were interviewing the Reverend Brian Rossford, he would have said that probably right, right on those talking points. That's right. Uh, I like it here, uh, Peter. Uh, I live in a in crazy community uh, mm-hmm. here in Boulder, which Say is more about that. very strange. Um, I've always thought of Boulder as really like even keel and low key place well you know the the thing is right there's like the reputation of boulder as a crazy place which is true and not true Mm -hmm. uh but the crazy part that i'm talking about is nothing really to do with the cool reputation of the city Mm. uh but the various competing dynamics at play in our town Mm. uh especially when it comes to housing and real estate uh the city of boulder thanks in large part to uh uh, a grace lutheran church member uh who was on city council at the time um Charles Hartling, uh, the city bought up land around the city and developed uh, green space that surrounds the city. Uh, and so because we have these beautiful mountains right next to us, we also have uh, limits on how high you can build. So you can't build out because you're surrounded by uh, city-owned green space that can't be developed and you can't build high because you would block the views. Uh, and as our good friend Milton Friedman would note, uh, when mm. supply is limited, the demand goes up. Um, and so and yet we're not like a pure town and gown sort of town, right? We have a university in the midst of us, but there's a real city in Boulder that exists outside right. of the university. Um, and within, there are no market forces that incentivize developers. I, you end up as a pastor in really strange meetings. And I was in a meeting not too long ago with some developers. Uh, hmm. and they uh, are not incentivized at all to like create affordable housing outside of like the mandated, we have decent local codes, right? That you have to build a certain number of affordable units for every unit you develop. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no real um, incentive for folks to build kind of like starter homes, right? Like every bedroom you can add, adds, you know, I'm incentivized as a home, we are, well, (laughs) I I own a single family uh, detached dwelling, Mm. right? And if I can add a bedroom to it, if I can turn something into a bedroom, right? Like, if I'm in, highly incentivized to do that's that, that's another you'll be able to resell it much higher. Hundred right? grand in your pocket. Yeah, easy. Um, <laughs> I, might, and, I, I thought I was exaggerating, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> you might not be. Um, you know, you got to find ways to to incentivize this unmet need because there are people who can't afford uh, luxury student housing or uh, the early retiree tech person who retires to Boulder uh, mm-hmm. and buys a $5 million home. Uh, and I've seen ways that it works really well. Uh, one of my child's classmates uh, lives in middle income affordable housing to the city of Boulder does. Mm. Uh, and it is really cool. Um, it's a lovely place to live, right? They host parties all the time because they have this community room. Mm. Um, but uh, her, the, they got two kids. Uh, she's a dental hygienist. Uh, the dad is a teacher in the school district. Uh, and they're able to live in the middle of, of the community in which they they both work and serve, uh, and which is you know, kind of ideal. You like to live where you, you want, where you work right? and like, your friends are, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't have to live on the other side of I twenty five to come do stuff in town, you know. Mm-hmm. And for our non Colorado listeners, uh, you know, I twenty five is a long ways from Boulder, you know, mm-hmm. relative commuting distance. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that. Which is mm-hmm. where the vast majority of folks who work for the University of Colorado as staff live. Um, wow. Right. Like they do not live there. They do not live in the city of Boulder unless mm-hmm. they got into the, into our affordable housing programs. Um, but 
Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great example, kind of a local, local picture of like what this looks like. And, you know, we know that no, I, I'm going to say something very controversial, no piece of legislation uh, or ballot measure is perfect. Zach, mm-hmm. uh, we, we cannot achieve perfection uh, this on this side of paradise. So uh, alas, we are stuck. This side of gangsters paradise. Gangsters paradise on this side of the veil. Um, that's right. RIP Coolio. Uh, we, we therefore are, you know, we try, we try different things. And I think this is, this is a great example of trying something new, uh, creating a, a fund that, you know, maybe we'll decide that we want to fund it differently in the future. Like this is a good example of how like the legislature could change something down the road, but it creates this affordable housing fund that gives us at least a vehicle to try some different things and do some new things. So, yeah. so when it is, comes to the cool proposition, proposition one, two, three, uh, Lutheran Advocacy Ministry says, I hardly agree. Amen. I can only co-sign Homer Simpson. Well, well, Zach, we're getting down to the, uh, the, the part of the ballot where we don't have any positions. So I wonder if you want to just uh, take the last segment of our, of our time mm-hmm. together and just do some quick hits and quick run hits. down the ballot. Oh, Peter, you know me. I'm always interested in natural medicine. Shouldn't I have access to natural medicine? Mm, great question, Zach. It, if by natural medicine you mean certain psychedelic plants and fungi, then uh, the voters might say yes. We'll find out this November. Uh, that's Prop 122, decriminalizing personal use, possession, and growth of certain psychedelic plants. Uh, create does a couple other things, creates sort of a framework for um, possibly having licensed centers to administer those things. Um, you know, this is very cutting edge of public policy and, you know, Colorado, sometimes we're on the cutting edge. Uh, not often, some would say almost never, but right now, this is something that has only been tried, I think at a state level in Oregon. So we mm. are, we are putting it to the voters. We'll see what they say. Yeah. I've seen the documentary on Netflix on uh, mushrooms and it was super impressive. And I am uh, interested in uh, further research. Mm. Is on that the, the potential where everyone does DMT and they talk about how it goes? Maybe it's not all <laughs> about not. the psychedelics. It's about, um, it does the really cool thing. Gosh, mushrooms are super interesting and I'd mm-hmm. love to talk about them further, but like how mushrooms create like neural networks for trees and forests and they use like the, oh, yeah. the fungal networks to communicate with one another. And so it's not just about the psychedelic. There's a psychedelic part of it. Right. Um, right. Right. There's a sort of, essentially like talks palliative... about how there's been a, a, you could, you could not use federal funds for research on that. Exactly. Stuff. Right. And yeah, there's, there's a medicinal palliative research. component of this, uh, that, that people want to explore. There's also like a criminal justice side, um, you know, the decriminalization of, of possession of these things. So, you know, so it doesn't compound on people if they happen to find mm-hmm. them, um, during like an arrest or something. There's, there's a lot of elements overlapping, but I will be very curious to see what yeah. the voters think. Is there given- polling on this? I have not Is seen there any much polling, polling on any of the propositions. Almost none. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the polling that's done is done internally by campaigns that are supporting or opposing these measures. So there's not a lot of like public, you're not getting the Ipsos Quinnipiac polls oh, on all the Colorado measures. So we're going to have to wait and, and see what happens. But Quinnipiac, second most prestigious college in New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> that is... That is a claim to fame. I will. I will say There's that. There's a lot of alcohol. We got. We got. We got drugs and alcohol here. We uh, sure do. Oh, we, we got, got them a whole pair of them. Liquor license, uh, sale of alcoholic beverages, uh, and uh, delivery. Alcohol delivery. Yeah, this is uh, this is a whole package of three different things. Props one twenty four, one twenty five, and one twenty six. They will all be next to each other on your ballot. I do recommend that you read closely when you get this to make sure you know which one you're voting on. Um, unless you've decided, you know, you're going to vote the same way on all of them. 124 is basically increasing the limit on liquor stores that one person or business can operate. Right now, the limit is three. This would increase that number to unlimited by 2037. Um, Our state liquor laws, uh, for a variety of reasons, have been somewhat Byzantine. And so there's been a project to kind of liberalize them, uh, small L. And this one's funded by uh, the, the Total Wine and More guys robert magnates, and David as it says in the uh i did the use guide. the word magnates <laughs> <laughs> i resisted the i enjoyed that part temptation to say magnates how do they work um 
but we know how they work. They put things on our ballot. Mm. Uh, this would definitely benefit them personally. And you yeah. know, that is true. Large, highly capitalized retailers would really benefit at the expense of, you know, your small local liquor stores. And I think there is an interesting little justice component here for people to at least think about, um, you know, your small local liquor stores tend to be, and this is just a general tendency, more likely to be owned by um, small family, individual families. Um, They're more likely to be owned by immigrants. They're more likely actually to be owned by women uh, based on um, some research that I was told about. And so that's, you know, that's an interesting question. You just went to a couple of liquor stores, right? Yeah, I just, you know, went to my local liquor stores and said, who, who owns this? And that's, what I, that's what I learned. They're most anyway. likely to be owned by someone named Teresa. Yes. <laughs> Teresa. You know, Teresa's great. She keeps me supplied with my uh, very important supply of Amarula direct from South Africa. I need a local retailer to provide. I do, I do miss the consistency of, uh, yeah, I'm torn on it, Peter. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not usually pro magnate, but, um, you know, I've got like a little family owned liquor store, uh, which, you know, again, for listeners is, uh, the only place around me where I can buy wine as well. Um, and I, I like, I, I learned their selection, right. But then I find myself on like the other side of town and I need to pick up a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. I go to a liquor store and they don't have like, they don't have the same, selection selection right? yeah i get and I'm that i'm not I such a it. wine connoisseur that i like can immediately <laughs> see the labels and discern like what is going to be an acceptable substitute for my ex-girlfriend <laughs> that's a that's a fair point well you want to keep her well supplied well anyway yeah that's there's some things to think about with this one i think um you know it's an interesting question I'm not saying all those small retailers are going to go out of business if this passes, but I think it's it's worth considering kind of the balance between those things. But speaking of wine sales, that's the next one, Prop 125. It would allow retailers that can sell beer right now. Grocery stores and convenience stores were recently permitted to do so uh, in, in recent Colorado history. It would allow them to also sell wine, which they cannot do right now. Uh, the legislature allowed grocery stores to sell full-strength beer in 2018. So this is only four years old. And uh, here again, you're allowing large chains, you know, your King Supers, your Safeway, whomever, to sell wine. Things Trader that, Joe's. Exactly. Uh, with your independent kind of more local retailers might uh, take a hit from that potentially. But as you say, there is a convenience factor as well. So that's our 124. And then 125, the last one in this this triad, would allow third-party services to deliver alcohol. So probably going to benefit your Uber Eats, your DoorDash type folks. It might have some extra benefits for people like any retailer of beverages, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of sales volume, hard to say. But uh, this one is actually being supported by those delivery services. Last so. one, Peter, before I have to go pick up uh, my ex-girlfriend's daughter mm-hmm. from school. Um, uh, I'm interested in Amendment F, which comes, uh, according to you, uh, in your description of how things come, comes from the legislature mm-hmm. on charitable gaming. Because I've been a part of nonprofits and run nonprofits that yes. have had to like be careful around, like we're not a, it's a drawing and not a raffle or all that kind of stuff uh, that is very interesting. Yeah, this this was on the ballot in 2020, and it was almost identical. It was defeated uh, by a very narrow margin. Um, not clear to me why. Yeah, that's the idea. It would uh, allow nonprofits that use these like bingo and raffles and lotto and stuff um, to pay the operators of those enterprises and to expand kind of the oversight mechanism for those enterprises. So if you want... Lutheran Campus Ministry uh, to be having all sorts of bread and belonging sponsored lottos and raffles, you know, consider, consider your vote on this one. If you want them to be able to pay the operator, I should say, you can do that now if you want, you just are not, you are not allowed to pay the person who runs it. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. We're just going to hitch our wagon to the psychedelic mushroom sales uh, business. (laughs) You know, if you get it on the ground floor, I've heard it can be very lucrative. Right? Yeah. That's pretty good, Zach. We got to nine out of the 11 things on the ballot here. Um, Judicial district. Eh. We left Amendment D. That's sort of a totally administrative change. Amendment E, I, I recommend folks take a look at that. Extends that 
property tax exemption, the homestead exemption to surviving spouses of armed forces members. Uh, it's, you know, it's about um, exempting 50% of the first, I think, 200,000 of the value on their home from property taxes would extend that on death to the surviving spouse. So interesting thing to look at there as well. But that is your ballot, Zach. That's everything. Excellent. We've never, this is record time for us. It is. We, we just hit one hour. So many tangents. <laughs> but I tried to tight. keep us on track because yeah, for, you know your ex-girlfriend's daughter needs to be picked up. Yeah, if you don't pick them up, they call the cops or something. I don't oh, know. that sounds like a whole mess. Wow. Never, you go through all of life, Peter, being late all the time, and people just think you're unprofessional. And then you have a kid, and when you're late, all of a sudden, you know, they're like, you're going to go to jail. It becomes a criminal act. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Zach, I will try to do my best to think of you not as a criminal, but just as unprofessional, because it feels a lot more charitable towards you. As long as we're not uh, gaming. You know, as as the co-host of this podcast, I'm just grateful that we had a chance to talk about all this stuff and uh, zip through it all. I recommend, again, folks, go to rmselca.org slash Colorado Ballot 2022. You can see our whole voter guide. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for... Thanks for the time. Uh, I hope I hope the voters enjoy filling out their ballots at a leisurely pace when they arrive hey, in the mail. You may not like direct democracy, but we're stuck with it. So you You're might as well do it whether you like it or it. not. <laughs> All right, Peter. Good to see you. And, Likewise. Uh, my last name's Paris is the only other connection I can make. Wow. Uh, to this, uh, I assume, public domain accordion music. It's lovely. Yeah, I love uh, it. Religious exemption. <laughs>